Hey all, welcome back to the new episode of the Boring Launch Podcast. It's a podcast by game devs and for game devs. Today is going to be a treat. We will chat with my good friends from Sweden, Irene and Jonathan. We will talk about the trials and tribulation of shipping games, especially the stressful ones. I'm your host, Raymond Arifianto. Let's get started. Hey, hey, I'm so excited to introduce to you my two good friends from Stockholm, Sweden, Jonathan Herman and Irene York. How are you guys doing? Pretty good. Awesome. Thanks. Thanks for having us. Yeah. So uh, I want to start with you, Irene. So you've been in the industry for, for more than a decade. Like you've been focusing on analytics and you know game intelligence in, in big companies like Massive, Ubisoft Montreal, Glorious Games, Starbreeze. And now you're running your own analytics company called Yord Insights. Like what drew you into data and analytics in the first place? Um, I think it was a bit of a fluke. I When I just started out, uh, my first job in the industry was a Facebook MMO game. And it was live and nobody really knew what was happening. Facebook was a bit of a black box. It had a few data points that were available to, to the developers, but you never really knew what it meant. And so we started figuring out how can we understand what's going on in our game and with the CTO of that company, we started actually running query on the game backend, which is, uh, just as a side note, absolutely not recommended to the point where when we were running queries, we were decreasing performance for some mm. of our players. But hey, we were getting some data out. And I guess I at that point, I realized that that was something that was really important. And my role was a producer on that game, but I felt I had I was a pilot with no dashboard flying an airplane and not knowing where I'm going. So I kind of just gravitated towards it out of pure need. I wasn't necessarily a numbers person or anything like that. I mean, I have a business background, but I... I stopped studying economics uh, so that I could focus on studying psychology because I didn't want people to be graphs. And <laughs> here I am making graphs out of people. The irony. But I feel that learning about the player behavior and learning about how your game is doing is so important these days, especially with long live service component. Yes, absolutely. I mean, it's possible to do without. I've recently been working with Starbreeze and they had essentially eight years of live ops without much data. But the concept worked and it was successful but that's not, that isn't always the case and uh, especially if you aren't releasing your game at a low price point and can afford to have users churn out then it may not be a problem but if you actually are paying to acquire your users you definitely don't want to just throw money out the window right you want to understand what's going on like are people even staying absolutely why are they staying? Why are they not staying? Just you don't have to go and like put your fingers deep into into the gameplay and try to tweak things based on the numbers. Just kind of just know what's going on. Are things working out? Are people loving your game? Are they having fun? And it seems like that is the topic of your uh, GDC talk. It seems like you're going to have a talk in a couple of weeks. Tell me about that. It's going to be a fun one. So the idea is to tell about this point at Starbreeze where they were releasing an 
update. It was supposed to be an April's Fool joke, and they were talking about having players kill NPCs with a weapon that looks like a spoon. And somebody reached out and asked, uh, hey, Irene, is there a chance that telemetry, like that analytics knows how many kills we have? And they started talking about, oh, maybe we could like collect the number of spoon kills and have our community manager post it on Twitter at different milestones. And then it kind of escalates into, oh, what if they reach a milestone in the middle of the night? Uh, do we wake up the community manager so that she can post at 3 a.m. that they reach the milestone? And then I proposed, how about we actually use the technology that we have and use our technology partners to send the data directly to a website straight from the game? pretty much real time and have players watch the uh, the spoon kill counter grow as they were playing. Right. And uh, and that's what I'm going to talk about. I'll be talking about all the things that had gone wrong, all the things that could have done wrong, the cheaters, the forecasting, the cost. It's been a fun experiment. Uh, I can definitely recommend it. So um, I'm really happy to share that with the wider audience. All right. I'm going to switch to Jonathan. Now, Jonathan, you've been in the industry for for two decades. You started out with uh, Vicarious Visions, which you know later got acquired by Activision. And then and then we met at Ghost Games, where we were working in Need for Speed. Yeah. And then you joined Starbreeze. And now you're working in, in a new company called Liquid Swords, while you're also working with Irene in the in the Yort Insights. What got you into the games industry in the first place? That was an interesting journey, because I'd actually say uh, before joining Vicarious Visions, I was in another game studio called Engineering Animation for about uh, eight years prior to that. And I joined that coming right out of university. So I, I started my university studies was in medical illustration and engineering animation was working on developing medical visualizations just as computer graphics were coming to market in the mid 90s. So I usually I got my start actually doing um, computer visualizations of medical procedures and, and anatomical uh, and, and bio, biomedical things. And at that point in time, there wasn't really a curriculum for, for game dev. There really wasn't much of a curriculum for computer graphics. It was all sort of seat of the pants, learn on the job. And that, that's kind of where I, I got my start was, was doing computer graphics for the visualizations. That company bought a game development studio studio in Salt Lake City. I transferred to uh, to that studio and was working there as a as an animator and really kind of a jack of all trades master in the in the in kind of that art side of things. And that was really kind of my introduction into games. And at that point in time, I was hooked. I was hooked on on the technology. I was hooked on the creative aspects. I was hooked on on making games, you know, bringing, bringing a different type of value to uh, to people and, and doing so in a way that my parents always said I would never get a job as an artist. Um, and here, here was an opportunity for me to actually show that, no, there, there is actually a way to have a job uh, as an artist. So that was kind of my introduction into games. That's great. I kind of want to get your thoughts from both of you guys. Let's start with what is the weirdest game launch or the, the most memorable game launch you've ever been in? Yeah, there's there's many. I, I think the one that stands out the most, when, when I just stop and think about it, I mean, the, the good, the bad, the ugly, uh, and this one was kind of a little bit of all of them. It was when I was with Activision managing the evolution of the Guitar Hero franchise between Guitar Hero 3 and Guitar Hero 4. We were working on Guitar Hero 4 at that time, just supposed to be the evolution of the brand uh, and the franchise. And uh, lo and behold, another competitor came to market. You know, everybody's dream of, of rock band came to market. And suddenly our, our Guitar Hero game needed to compete against a four-player band experience. 
So midway through a one-year development cycle, because that's that's where we were, annual releases uh, for for Guitar Hero. The you know the word came, okay, it needs to be a band game. No extra time, maybe a little extra budget, but uh, you know that's to be able to ramp up a team and 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 release the product on on time was still going to be a challenge. So yeah, it was a it was a scramble. How do we how do we shoehorn in uh, a four-player band experience into a game and a technology uh, that was all based on on guitars we we didn't have support for for drums we didn't have support for for mics we were the team that i was working with was specifically uh, working on the the wii platform so you know it, it's one more it's one thing that's kind of shoehorn that whole experience into the technology that was available on on xbox and playstation a little bit more powerful than the than the wii but we need to figure out how to do all that and make it run and perform on the wii platform and still do a simultaneous ship so here's this kind of gets into that that your whole idea of boring mm-hmm. releases you know here's here's the perfect storm of a whole lot of new scope right. no change in in timeline or uh, or budget uh, simultaneous ship because that's what the publisher expects because the cost of not simultaneous ship is uh, and not something that they they were particularly interested in even considering or calculating right the market changed significantly and the scope has increased significantly and the launch date hasn't moved from a business perspective the thought was that in order to remain relevant we actually needed to match a feature set rather than maybe doubling down and making a a better or more compelling guitar experience and still differentiating ourselves within the market but that was the decision yeah so how does that affect you as producer when you are shipping your next game and you want to make sure that that kind of stress does not need to happen again. I mean, I think the first thing that comes to mind, and I don't think it was that product, but certainly it was, uh, it came to light in there is a, as a producer, you, you need to get over your own initial thoughts or frustrations or concerns around the, the requests that were made of you, uh, because you have an entire team of individuals who are all going through that same process and they need, they need somebody that they can actually lean on to be able to support them through that, that effort. And I think from a production perspective or a leadership perspective, you need to set aside your own thoughts or feelings as, as quick as possible because you, you need to support the team. It's not going to solve or make for boring deliverables or, or, or releases. But I think the sooner you can focus on supporting your team through the change that they're all going through, I think it's it's going to make the best out of a worse scenario. And I think that's, you know, that's one of the key things that we needed to focus on there. Got it. Now, and are you, Irene, like, how would you describe the most memorable launch you've been on? I think my most memorable scary launch wasn't even really a launch. But in my time with Ubisoft, we had some of our bigger games releasing close to Christmas because we wanted to make the best out of the Christmas sales and the, the gifting period and all of that. And for a few years, all the Christmas, because all of the telemetry was collected through one technology, one shared technology, we had an outage. So for every launch, we had to prepare a degradation plan where we would make a list of events in case the telemetry is going down, which ones need to stay, which ones can be dropped. And every time I came back from vacation, or at least those couple of times, which sometimes feels like every time because it was just, we knew it was going to happen. It was happening. It was just a fact of life. We would come back and there would be a couple of days of outage in the peak period. You just pretty much knew you were going to come back from vacation and you were 
and you were going to have to patch up the data. Right, right. But the rest of my experience, I think, has been full of quite boring launches because a lot of the stuff that I work with is either mobile or uh, free-to-play that had a long beta. So there aren't really that many surprises. I think that's why I have much fewer gray hair, much less gray hair than Jonathan has because I haven't been part of those big money launches that became super stressful super fast. Like one of the most stressful things launch-wise has been when uh, we were working on a on an app for Payday 2 and it kept failing uh, its submissions. But I mean, it's like, a, that's probably like the most surprising, shocking launch related thing. But I think the fact that I now work with uh, games with live ops and a lot of pre-prep, such as soft launches, betas and stuff like that, there are much fewer surprises and it's great. It's just creating some longevity to my own career. I, I won't burn out as fast as if I were launching a AAA product every other year. That is a really good point, what you said about, you know, shipping big games on, on Christmas, right? Or or what Jonathan shared about hitting the, the street date for a big triple A game that you have to pivot very, very quickly. Yeah. And and to the same point, you know, that that was also holiday launch. Right. It was also holiday launch. Like that's that's how the games industry work. You know, we go for holidays, right? For for big games. Yeah. And that's and I was just gonna say, you know, when you think about boring launches, if if you want to actually have a boring launch, then challenge some of these conventions. Yes, the sales data shows that you can get significant day one sales when you launch around the holiday season. People have time off. Sometimes there's new hardware releases, but it's also a really busy time of the season for some other games as well. Yeah. But now now that there's so many different ways to generate momentum and energy and community and excitement around a right. product, I think if businesses actually just focus their attention on, on building that hype outside of the holiday season, you, you can move away from that, uh, I don't know, that trope that you have to release your big games over, over the holidays. Right. And, and you can control when it actually happens and you can shift it if it has to happen. Maybe you haven't hit the target. Uh, maybe you're stuck in release. Okay, well, you're generating the excitement around your product by actually controlling the community narrative. So if you have to delay, you delay. You just find a way to continue keeping the, the community motivated. I'm not saying that's easy, but it's a whole lot easier and better for the business and everybody working on the product. You don't try and force them to shoot more on a product in a time and, and release it when it's not ready. And from a player point of view, I remember reading back in the day when I was just starting in, in the industry, how oh, you have to choose if you're a Call of Duty player or if you're a Battlefield player. Kind of like, oh, shooter fans have to commit to one or the other. I'm not sure they were actually releasing anywhere near each other, but it's kind of the same. Like for Christmas, you have to choose which out of my five favorite games am I going to buy this Christmas. Maybe we don't have five grandparents to give you one of each. So space it out and uh, let players have more than one favorite shooter. And I think we're starting to see it a little bit in the industry. You know, when I was over at Starbreeze running the, the publishing ops, uh, you know, there's always discussion about what's the best time to launch a product, you know, and, and data often didn't show that from a sales perspective, didn't show that early in the calendar year, like Q1, the end of Q1, early Q2 was a good time. They're just, you know, people are, they're getting ready to head into the summer, blah, 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 blah. But, you know, you, you look at the games that just recently really released. We're, we're in, what, the end of February, early March now. We've got Elden Ring that just came out. We've got Tina's Wonderland that's coming out. I mean, there's big titles that are coming out in what was traditionally not a really good time to release product because they're not focused on typical types of sales cycles. They're generating their own sales cycle because they're, they're focused on building community and launching. And if the game is good, somebody's still going to yeah. wish it for Christmas, yeah. even if it's not newly 
actually launched. And maybe it's going to be a slow burn kind of thing. I mean, like building up, like you said, that community and then, yeah. you know, focusing on that stickiness of the player base. Yeah. But also from a technical point of view, and I mean, I'm not the technical person, but I can imagine that when you have a backend and that is obviously sensitive to high volumes of players, stealth launching before you go out with big marketing campaigns must be a, a huge benefit instead of just hitting like a major peak concurrency on day one and then your game breaks. I know that Irene, you're focusing on your GDC presentation right now. What's next for your insights? I would say I want to free up more time to actually run the company and coach more people. I've studied as probably the worst possible CEO who is both a CEO and a hands-on person and managing people and I'm a bottleneck I'm a stress ball and I don't know it's I want to get better at what I do it's always good to uh, know your limitation obviously Uh, and I think one of the things that we really focus on at your insights is that we want to work with nice people. Right. And this is something that's in my head, one of the most important aspects of this work. We want to have fun. Right. We have some of the most amazing partners right now. We're going into a meeting is like having a drink with a friend. Right. And that's how I want to continue doing things. It's more about fun and great relationship and helping developers ship games. And not only games. I mean, we work with all kind of industries, primarily games, but just helping people have fun launches, really. For sure. For sure. And that you can you can run successful businesses, run or, or launch successful products and still have fun in the process. I, mean, yeah. that, I think that's the whole reason why we ended up in the games industry. Even if we happened into it or decided uh, intentionally to join it, we, we did so because it's it's fun. It should be fun. We're making games for, for goodness sake. Speaking of having fun, Jonathan, what can you tell us about Liquid Swords? I'm having fun. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're still very early on. You know, the studio was formed last year, last February. Christopher uh, started the studio. We're in the process of building a studio, establishing a culture, and working on an initial prototype. The whole intent of Christopher when he set out to launch and build Liquid Swords and, and the, the game vision that he has for a product we're working on was, was to just, as I mentioned before, really kind of challenge the conventions of, of game development and bring things back to what we, for us that have been in the industry for too long, um, dinosaurs, uh, you know, get back to uh, to get back to the way the game dev used to be, kind of in the sense of a bunch of friends who have a really great idea, uh, all working in a garage and just making something cool um, and making something that we believe in and, and not compromising on the integrity or the vision of the product because somebody came in and said that uh, it needs this feature or it has to be this type of uh, player demographic that you're focusing on. No, it's this is the game we're making. We believe in this game. We know there's a market for this game for the partners that we work with. You know, we hope that you're able to find and tap into that market rather than us trying to compromise on on the vision in order to be able to deliver to a market that that's just easy to to tap into. Absolutely. And we're both coming to GDC. Yay! I guess I will see you in GDC next week. Absolutely. Can't wait. All right, guys. Thank you so much for agreeing to come to the show. I totally agree. You know, we should keep it fun. We should not make it stressful whenever we can. And all those small things does matter. Thanks again for coming into the show. Thanks, Thank you for having us. Hey, thanks for listening in. I hope you enjoyed the show. As we discussed in the show, Irene has an upcoming GDC talk next week. It's called Payday 2, Leveraging Game Telemetry to Increase Engagement and Replayability. So you know what that means. If you're going to GDC 2022, I'd recommend you to come and check out her talk. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. 
Now, listeners, if you have some fun stories about chipping games or if you have some tips you'd like to share with the listeners, I'd love to hear from you. Shoot me an email at hello at boringlaunch.gg. And while you're at it, check out our website also, boringlaunch.gg. See you in the next episode. Bye.